Good morning, church. God is good. And all the time. If you have a clock, don't look at it. If you have an alarm, turn it off. Because uh, we're going to spend some time together. Um, and before, I, before we open up the word, I um, have a special announcement for you today. Uh, first service got teased. And some of them may be back from first service, I don't know. But uh, a while back, after Pastor Genevieve left, we began a search for a new youth pastor. And so uh, the search committee got together and um, decided on a youth pastor to recommend to the board. The board accepted that recommendation, and they made a recommendation to the conference. And the conference uh, liked the recommendation, invited the individual... The individual accepted. Am I saying everything PC so far? (laughs) And uh, so it was just approved an executive committee two days ago at Southeastern California Conference. So it's my pleasure to share with you today that our new youth pastor is coming from the Oceanside Church, and his name is Aaron Renneker. We have a picture of him, so you can see him. And uh, he is a phenomenal youth pastor. So, yes, uh, we are excited. Some of you, a few of you know him, yes. Uh, Most of you are going, who's Aaron Renneker? I have no idea. Uh, But after church today, not during church, put the phones down. (laughs) After church, you can go on Facebook, Instagram, you can look him up, go on the website, do whatever you want to do. But he's coming from the Oceanside Church. He's been there for five years as their youth pastor, youth and young adults. Graduated from PUC and is finishing up his master's in theology at La Sierra University uh, right now. And uh, he's actually uh, really good friends with uh, Michael Jung, if you know Michael. They played basketball together at, at PUC. Uh, uh, Brent Wild, I don't know if Brent's here today or not, but uh, played basketball with Brent. Um, so some people know him. He actually went to Roatan with his church uh, before I got here, I think it was. So he has a little bit of uh, experience with this church. Uh, but he is a uh, wonderful youth pastor, and we are blessed to be able to have him come this direction. In fact, if you want a close-up view, if you look on the insert for PSR, he's the speaker for our youth at PSR in April. Um, back in the fall when we were looking for a speaker, I called him to ask if he would come speak. Little did we know that he would be our youth pastor. <laughs> so, uh, so he's actually going to arrive mid-April, so we have to hang on for a couple more months. He's going to arrive mid-April, and his first Sabbath with us will actually be up at Pine Springs Ranch. So he'll be able to have the weekend to hang out with our high schoolers and with all of us and start to get to know us and so forth. Uh, but he's going to arrive that week. We'll probably uh, spend some time on campus at Mesa Grande that week, and we'll get people together, and it'll just be, you're, you're going to love him. Uh, great guy. So Aaron is his name, A-R-E-N is how he spells it, Aaron Renneker. So, um, and then you, he can tell you more about himself when he gets here, but, uh, but we're blessed to have him coming. And I'm glad to finally be able to say it. Yeah. don't have to keep it a secret anymore. People are asking us all the time, who's coming on? So, all right, good news. Um, I am going to, like I said, we're going to settle in for a little bit. So I apologize that I had a mid-service snack, okay? So that means I can go for a while. My carbohydrates are up. I'm good. I, I've, got, I've got what I need. So you maybe not. So I'm sorry. Um, Nate, where's Nate Hall? Would you come up here for, for a little bit? 
Nate is uh, one of our high, our high schoolers here at Cala Mesa. Um, he goes to Mesa Grande Academy. He's a junior. He's in the same class as my son, Andrew. And, and uh, so uh, Nate, Nate went on a little journey, let's just say, to a place called Project Patch out in Idaho. And so I just want him to share a little bit of his journey with you. He, um, he's going to tell you a little bit about what life was like before and during and after. But let's start with before. What was, what was life like for you before you went to Project Patch? Um. It'll, it'll be on in a second. I have faith. <laughs> I, have, I'm, I'm, I have faith. It's going to work. Try it again. Hello? Yes. Okay. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Um, life before Project Patch, I was always disrespectful to my parents, my mom especially. Um, actually, authority overall, but mainly my mom, sadly. Um, I was always disrespectful. I didn't want to do anything. I was lazy. Um, some of that's teenage years, but a lot of it was other problems, so... Um, a lot of disrespect. And then anger. Anger issues was another one. Okay. So you went to Project Patch. You were there how long? I was there for 13 months. 13 months. Okay. So tell us a little bit about what happened at Project Patch, what, the disrespect and the anger and all of that. Uh, well, the disrespect and the anger continued for a good few months into the program. I was reluctant to cooperate with anybody. Um, I really didn't want to cooperate with anybody, um, but it took a while. Over time, I got, you know, close to the people, the staff members up there, and my peers, and I got, in the process of doing that, I got closer to God and a better spiritual life, um, got to do a lot of stuff up there, you know, in the process, you know. A lot of fun activities and helping me do that. Okay, good. You said you got closer to God. So how did you experience God impacting some of the things that were going on in your heart and in your head? Um, I don't know, just like talking with other people and like their experiences and then like relating with their mistakes. Like they've made similar mistakes and then it like made me realize... I'm not the only one that God has, like, you know, made me meet these people for a reason, for a purpose, mm. to build upon my mistakes and improve to be a better person. All right. Good, good. So you were there 13 months. You came back, was it November or so? Yeah, November 14th. Okay, you came back November. And so what's, what's life like now for you now that you're back? Uh, it's a night and day difference. Um, I'm, for the most part, I'm not perfect, you know, I'm a human being still. Um, <laughs> I'm respectful to my parents now. Uh, I have a great relationship with my mom. Um, my dad, you know, has always been kind of good, but it's even better now, so. Um, my grades are better. Just overall improvement in day-to-day -day life. Awesome, awesome. And uh, Nate, um, Nate and I are going to be getting together. He wants to be baptized. And so that'll probably happen by the end of the school year. So it's awesome. But, uh, Nate, we're just really excited for you. And it's just an honor and a joy to journey with Jesus together with you. 
uh, here in Cala Mesa, and we're just extremely proud of you. Thank you. God bless you, my friend. God truly is good, right? Yeah. Um, today I want to look at a passage. I am going to kind of, uh, um, we're going to get creative with today's sermon a little bit. What I want to do is I want to look at the passage that, uh, that we have for today. It's in Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, verses 43 to 45. And we're going to look at some words that Jesus Jesus uh, spoke that you may not, you may or may not have read before. I'm sure some of you have, but they're not words that we necessarily hear often. And, um, you know, we all like clean houses, don't we? I think. Maybe not. I love a clean house. <laughs> you love a clean house, Joy? Thank you. Uh, yeah, I think we all love clean houses. It's a challenge to keep them clean. I know that. Um, when we moved here uh, several years ago, you know, there was something about moving into a new home that just had not been lived in yet. You know, all the walls were just spotless and freshly painted and the, the flooring freshly done, no stains on the carpet. You know, all those types of things. Just, just you know, you, you move in, but you're like, oh, it just looks so nice. You almost hate to move into it. And then you move in and, and life starts to happen and walls get dinged and carpet gets stained and all kinds of things happen and it gets a little messy. And, uh, you know, when you first move in and those things happen, you're like, oh, got to fix that, you know, fix that, you know, do this, 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 you know. And then after a while, you're like, oh, I'll get it later. <laughs> I'll get it later. I'll do that. And uh, Jesus is going to talk about a house, if you will, this morning. He's going to talk about a house that's quite clean, it appears, in order, swept, but unoccupied. For a moment, anyways, it seems. Jesus says in verse 43, when an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean, and put in order. Then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there, and the final condition of that person is worse than the first. That is how it will be with this wicked generation. We need to understand a little bit of who he was talking to and what was going on here. If you were to look at the whole chapter of chapter 12, he's running into problems again with the Pharisees, running into problems with the religious leaders. Now, you need to understand, too, that, that the Jews at this time and before were all about Reformation. And about 200 years before Jesus showed up on the scene, King Assyria had come in and taken over and taken their temple, made it quite a pagan shrine. Well, then you have the period of like uh, Judas Maccabeus who comes in and they have a great revolution. They get things back. They clean things up. They try to reform. But after about another hundred years, then things kind of go back again. You have the Pharisees who come along and they're all about reformation. We're going to get things back right again. We're going to get God here again, in a sense. And their whole methodology was we must protect the law. We must protect the Torah. And so we are going to make laws around the law. And if we can, in a sense, create a buffer, you know, that we don't eventually get to breaking the Torah, then we're, we're, we're doing good. Jesus describes them because they get to a point, they get to a point where they don't even recognize God 
right in front of them. The one all of their prophets had pointed to that would come is now here. The suffering servant that Isaiah had talked about was there. And now they were attributing his power to that of Satan. Well, if he cast out demons, you must, you must be from the ruler of the chief of the demons. And Jesus starts talking about the Holy Spirit and calling the work of God the work of the devil and so on and so on. They ask for a sign in chapter 12 and, and Jesus says the only sign you're going to get is the sign of Jonah, which is his resurrection, his death and resurrection. That's the only sign you're going to get. In fact, he goes on and he says, he kind of, uh, he's quite blunt with them because he says, in the judgment, the ones who are going to stand up and, and criticize you, in a sense, are going to be the outsiders, the Ninevites, the queen from the south. These were not God's chosen people. They were not Israel. They had gotten to a place where they had so rejected God that now they were attributing the work of God to the work of Satan. And Jesus gives these words. Let me read them to you in the message. When a defiling evil spirit is expelled from someone, it drifts along through the desert looking for an oasis, some unsuspecting soul it can bedevil. When it doesn't find anyone, it says, I'll go back to my old haunt. On return, it finds the person spotlessly clean but vacant. It then runs out and runs up seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they all move in, whooping it up. That person ends up far worse off than if he'd never gotten cleaned up in the first place. That's what this generation is like. You may think you have cleaned out the junk from your lives and gotten ready for God, but you weren't hospitable to my kingdom message, and now all the devils are moving back in. Wow. Let me read that last part again. You may think you have cleaned out the junk from your lives and gotten ready for God, but you weren't hospitable to my kingdom message, and now all the devils are moving back in. Church, Jesus is not talking about demons, per se. The problem was, was that the religious leaders in those days were telling people they needed to clean up their life, and they had to do this, and they had to do that, and they had to do this, and they had to do that, but they weren't allowing God to come into their lives. And straighten up your life. Obey this way. Do this. Do that. Try harder. Do this. But they're not being filled with God, and so you clean it up. You sweep the house clean. You put it in order, but it's unoccupied. And so what happens? What happens to you and me when we try harder and we try harder and we try harder? And it seems to work for a while, and then it comes back stronger and harder and harder. Because church, I want to suggest to you today that habits of the heart and the mind can only be transformed by a superpower named Jesus Christ. It has to come outside of ourselves, a power beyond ourselves. And Dan, I like what you were sharing today. When you were in that room, you recognized... This is not going to happen with me doing it. This is going to happen only by the power and the activity of God. And if you just go and try to sweep up your life and don't allow God to come into the life, we're not going to be transformed. We're not going to be made well. We're just sweeping up. We're just redecorating. You know, you ever do that sometimes? This room really needs something. I'm really bored with it. We need to redecorate it, right? Sometimes we might do that in our spiritual life too. We know we have these problems or these issues. I just need to change the decorations a little bit. I just need to redecorate. I just need to make, give it a little different look. 
And God's saying, no, 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 just let me, let me come into your heart. Let me rule, and things will change. Things will happen. That's why Jesus came. May it just remind us of the big picture why Jesus came. Jesus came to this earth so that he himself, through the presence of the Holy Spirit, could actually live in who we are. He came to reside inside of us. Not a temple, not a building, but you and I, to make us new creatures. That's why I like, too, Dan, when you mentioned, we have to wait for heaven. Heaven can begin now because heaven is where God reigns. And as we allow God to reign in us, heaven begins to happen. Ultimately, perfectly, when he comes again, but we can experience heaven on earth when we allow Jesus to reign because when he reigns, life is good. It may be hard, but even when it's hard, it's good because of his presence. I just want to remind us of some things from Scripture this morning about the Spirit in our life. We're going to look at Romans chapter 8, and we'll have it up on the screen, or you can, as Sandy mentioned, turn those pages, whichever you like to do. Um, at my age, I like to look at it up close. <laughs> as long as I get my glasses dialed in. You know, I'm old now. I've got three sections to my glasses. You know what I mean? Now, you know, I finally learned why older people, when they're in a recliner chair, do this. <laughs> I did not know that until I had to do it, right? <laughs> it's like, it's fuzzy. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, that's perfect, you know. Oh. So now, see, I get it right in that zone, and it's crystal clear. Romans chapter 8, we're going to look at a few verses, beginning with verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemns him in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now go with me to, chapter, to verse 10. We're just going to skip over here. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. Let me just stop there first at verse 11. He's not talking about just giving life to our mortal bodies when Jesus comes again. He's talking about now. Life inside of us. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. There's this life that happens to us because of the Holy Spirit inside of us that frees us, begins to free us from ourselves. In verse 12, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to, to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. How does it happen? By who? By the Spirit. See, when you read the word flesh, Interpret that, all of my strength and power, everything I can possibly do. And Romans makes it very clear that that doesn't go very far. Try harder, try harder, try harder. Do better, try harder. That's where the Spirit comes in. Now, again, I'm not saying that grace is opposed to effort. I love what Dallas Willard says. Grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. We can never earn the power of God. We can never earn God's favor. 
He just gives it to us. But we can lean into the relationship with him. And I want to suggest to you this morning that the effort that we need to place in our Christian walk is in the relationship. We put the effort into the relationship, and it's amazing what God does. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. But it's not to the flesh to live according to it, verse 12. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Daddy, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. See, when the Spirit is in us, we are growing in our intimacy with God. We are growing in knowing God and moving from just knowing about him to knowing him personally and experiencing his personal power in our lives to transform our hearts and our minds. And we grow in this intimacy. And when that happens... Uh, We're going to look at Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. And we're going to look at the activity, the power of God in our lives. Spirits in us, residing in our houses, if you will. In verse 11 it says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. And it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Who's doing the saying of no to ungodliness? Look at that, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It says it teaches us. What what is it? Grace. And grace is not just some theory. Grace, I want you to, I interpret it this way. Grace is God in action. It's God's power. It's God's activity. It's God's doing. So it's grace that teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope. It's God's activity in our life through the presence of the Holy Spirit that teaches us to say no It's hard to say no sometimes, isn't it? No. And yet, I believe it's through the grace of the Holy Spirit that teaches us that when we say no, we're actually saying yes to something else. When I say no to this, it means I'm saying yes to this. And as grace continues to grow me and to transform my heart and mind through the surrender to God, it's amazing how life begins to change. Begins to change. Look at John 15, verse 4 and 5. This will be our last one. John 15, verses 4 and 5. And here, many of you have heard these words before, but for me, these are the words I always come back to. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. 
See, the things that we want to have happen in our hearts, in our heads, in our wills, only happen by the grace of God. Happens from that deep relationship, that connection with him, and that trust in him. You know, we, we all have, uh, we all have our, our struggles. We all have our challenges in different ways. And um, I forget who I was talking to, but I was just saying, you know, being 50, you know, you just kind of collect those over the years. You have more years to experience those things. And, you know, there are things that I wrestle with between my head and my heart, and I have found that the only way I have found healing and grace as I continue to work on those things is by the grace of God and just surrendering to Him, trusting Him. Just say, whatever happens, God, I give those concerns to you. Trust you with those. That's where the peace comes. That's where the strength comes. I love what what Ellen White said in Desire of Ages, page 324. She says, when the soul surrenders itself to Christ, a new power takes possession of the new heart. A change is wrought which man can never accomplish for himself. It is a supernatural work, bringing a supernatural element into human nature. The soul that is yielded to Christ becomes his own fortress, which he holds in a revolted world, and he intends that no authority shall be known in it but his own. The only defense against evil is the indwelling of Christ in the heart through faith in his righteousness. Unless we become vitally connected with God, we can never resist the unhallowed effects of self-love, self-indulgence, and temptation to sin. We may leave off many bad habits for the time we may part company with Satan, but without a vital connection with God, through the surrender of ourselves to him moment by moment, we shall be overcome. Without a personal acquaintance with Christ and a continual communion, we are at the mercy of the enemy and shall do his bidding in the end. Church, the power is in the presence. The power is in the presence of Jesus in Christ living us. The reformation and regeneration are in the relationship. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Live in me and I live in you. Abide in me and I abide in you. Make me your abode. I want, I'm going to live in you and you're going to be my abode and we are going to be together and we are going to bear fruit together. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness faithfulness, self-control. Those are the things we crave. Those are the things we want, aren't they? Those are fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Those are things that only come by the Spirit, not trying harder and not sweeping harder and not putting in order harder. Those are things that come by the grace of God alone. If you abide in me and I abide in you, you will bear much fruit. I love the uh, story Tim Keller shares. If you've never heard Tim Keller, he's a wonderful preacher, wonderful author. And um, he shares this story about the power of Christ's resurrection. See, because that's really what we're talking about here is the resurrected Christ living in us. When Jesus rose from the dead, it wasn't just that someone died and came to life. He didn't flatline and come to life. He overcame the power of evil. He reversed the power of evil. He showed that he had ultimate power to take on evil at its most potent, powerful way that it was expressed to him. And he overcame it. And he said, now this is the life I offer to you, the resurrected life. So Tim Keller tells a story. A minister was in Italy, and there he saw the grave of a man who had died centuries before who was an unbeliever and completely against Christianity. 
but a little afraid of it too. So the man had a huge stone slab put over his grave so he would not have to be raised from the dead in case there is a resurrection from the dead. He had insignias put all over the slab saying, I do not want to be raised from the dead. I don't believe in it. He's a stubborn guy. Evidently, when he was buried, an acorn must have fallen into the grave. So a hundred years later, the acorn had grown up through the grave and split that slab. It was now a tall, towering oak tree. The minister looked at it and asked, if an acorn, which has power of biological life in it, can split a slab of that magnitude, what can the acorn of God's resurrection power do in a person's life? That's the power Jesus is talking about. Jesus is saying, don't be all concerned about just sweeping up and putting in order. Let me come and live inside of you. Let me come in and let me then come in and put things to order. Let the spirit transform your heart and your mind and begin to put into order. Don't just try to do it all yourself and don't do what everybody else says you're supposed to be doing. Just abide in me. Spend time with me. And church, I will confess you know, I used to, when I'd get up in the morning, I'd surrender the day to Jesus. And that, I highly recommend that. But I have found in my own vulnerability and my own weakness, I can't do that anymore. I have to do it morning, noon, and night. I have to in the morning say, Jesus, I can only give you the morning right now. I surrender to you this morning. And around the lunchtime, I stop and I say, Jesus, I give you this afternoon. That's as good as I can get right now, Jesus. And then in the evening, Jesus, I give you the evening. I'm just, that's what I can do. And I want to encourage you, if, if that's something that's helpful for you, to do that. Keeps it before me. It allows me to keep enjoying surrendering to Jesus. Because the things that we crave, the way God created us, can only be given to us by Jesus himself. By the very presence of the Holy Spirit. Thank God for his resurrection power in our life. And then when Jesus came, he didn't say, all right, now sweep up your life and good luck with that. He said, I have come that I might live in you and you would have life abundantly. Let's pray. Jesus, we can't say it enough of how good you are. Thank you that you came, you died, you rose again, not just to do that, but to, to actually give that life to us. And Jesus we confess this morning, too, that we put a lot of focus sometimes on the appearance of the house. We put a lot of emphasis in our culture, in our society, of how things look. But, Lord, you want a house that's lived in, and lived in by you. Yes, there are things you want to clean up in our lives. There's things you want to put in order, and you want swept clean. But, Jesus, I thank you that you are a God who serves. And so you come in, and you don't just give us the mop and say, get mopping. You take the mop and you start mopping as you came to serve. And you start doing that work in our life. And you ask us to join you and to partner with you in that. So we just thank you that you're a God of mercy, forgiveness, compassion, and a God of new creation and transformation. So give us the grace, Lord, to lean into our relationship with you to enjoy the moments day by day spending with you, surrendering to you several times throughout the day, 
so we might rest in you and experience your resurrection transforming power in our life. Would you take a few moments now just in silent prayer to talk to Jesus about these things this morning? May we go enjoying the reality of Christ in us through the presence of the Holy Spirit with our houses being full of God's presence, transforming our hearts and our minds. God bless you.